Hey there, beautiful people. Trayvell here. We are taking a bit of a reprieve this week on Fanti, which is a perfect opportunity for me to remind you about We See Each Other, the podcast, a limited series that I hosted with Fanti fave Shar Jossel based on my book, We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film. Now, I know some of y'all ain't even took yourself on over to that feed to get some of that good, good, and it's okay. Your transphobia is showing. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> It's fine. And so I figured that we'd bring y'all another one of those episodes. This one in which we center and discuss trans masculine representation in the medias. This is great homework in advance of next week's episode on which we will finally have the one and only Dr. Diet talking about the pitfalls of representation. Oh, yes, it's going to be good. I'm over here rubbing my hands like Birdman. So go on on and dive into this episode episode and we will see y'all next week generations of history i'm so glad that we can see the beauty of our stories told by our own what a joyful time to see community shine we see we see we see, we see each other Hey there, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of We See Each Other, the podcast. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And I'm Shar Jossel. Yes, you are. And, you know, to get us started today, Shar... This episode is about the men's. <laughs> it's about the men's, the men's, the men's in the community. Um, and I want to start by sharing a reflection that I saw Courtney Ryan Ziegler, yeah. who is the director of a seminal piece of, of film. It's a documentary called Still Black, A Portrait of Black Trans Men. Um, it came out in the early 2000s. Um, but it's like a collection of of vignettes Mm -hmm. of different black trans men throughout the country um, talking about, you know, them living their lives, right? Um, In in various different ways. One of the men is Kyler Brodus, uh, who would go on years later to testify um, in front of Congress on behalf of the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. Um, He was a lawyer. He's been in a number of other documentaries as well. But... I was watching this, like, uh, 10th anniversary screening, like, talkback that Courtney was doing um, at a college in the Bay Area. And he mentioned that to him, in his estimation and experience, when people think about trans folks and trans visibility and representation, that they never actually think about trans men, and in particular, Black trans men. Right, that the conversation, that the, the the thing that comes up in people's mind is always trans women. And it gets me thinking about how right now a lot of the legislation that we are seeing, I'm thinking sports bans, I'm thinking some of the, the bathroom bans, are actually explicitly targeting trans women and girls. 
so many people, cis people in particular, don't even know trans men exist. Mm -hmm. Every time there's something that comes up around reproductive rights mm -hmm. with, with women's bodies in particular and, you know, certain language being introduced or certain language even being used, it's always like, oh, the trans women, they're trying to replace. They're mm -hmm. trying to replace. And it's like, no, this is inclusive language for non-binary people and trans men mm -hmm. who can carry a damn baby. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's been... It's it's definitely been interesting watching uh, conversations unfold in and of transness, um, because especially when it comes to to trans women. Even though I know this episode is about the men, but the way that trans women are uh, framed as like inherently predatory mm -hmm. and things of that nature versus just existing. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's a function of so many trans men, um, due to you know our history as trans people in this country and assimilation and passing politics i wonder if that's a function of trans men passing easier than mm. a lot of trans women can pass mm. meaning that they transition and just blend into society and go about their business mm. and trans women may have a more difficult time with that which inherently makes them stand out more yeah you yeah. know what i'm saying i d i do know what you're saying you know it 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 gets me thinking about so i talking in the book a little bit about how I didn't really begin to like think about or like consider trans men, trans masculine people in this conversation around like representation until I started dating a trans man. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, which I know, you know, for some of y'all out there, it's like, why, 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 why they say that on the on the on the on the microphone? Um, because it's really it's really horrible to say that like, oh, you didn't really consider a person or a population or a group of people until you started fucking one. Mm -hmm. Right? Because that that's what that boils down to ultimately. But it's the truth. Um, and not just for you, but for many of Others. For for a lots lots okay. of people, let's, right? Let's talk the pillow talk now. now. Come on, okay. <laughs> um, but being in relationship with him, I had a front row seat to the particular type of like marginalization that trans men do experience in various you know industries and and forms of of just like moving through the world like whether it's going to the doctor mm -hmm. whether it's you know be, being in a quote-unquote men's space and not feeling you know supported or welcome in those types of spaces because of um their gender history um and it makes me think about to to your point about survival Right. In the ways that trans people um, sometimes, you know, quote unquote, blend in, pass, whatever, you know, whatever languages we use in these days. Assimilate. Assimilate, you know, uh, are, they, are, they, are we using that? I, I feel like people would hate that word, too. But anyway. But it is assimilating to cis heteronormativity. Mm -hmm. It is assimilating into cis society. Mm -hmm. And that is a function of what it is. Is it not? It, it is. While also I, <laughs> it is I'm just no because I I guess I I guess what I'm trying to do is like just make make note right of the because I think people get sensitive mm -hmm. when we start talking about this conversation in particular and why the boys you know. Um, aren't front of mind in these conversations in the ways that the dolls are. Yeah. Um, and we often talk about what you're articulating, which is this perceived, you know, uh, uh, greater ease mm -hmm. um, that it is for trans men, trans masculine people to, you know, pass, to blend or whatever, no matter the reason why they're doing it, whether it's for survival or some other motivation. 
But, you know, I still often think about how this conversation around representation will forever remain, like, stunted if we don't get past, you know, that very important hiccup yeah. Right. In terms of kind of the the lived realities of of trans folks across the gender spectrum, I don't know if that made any sense. It does. It it, it does. I I think to my point, I with what I had to say about trans men, I'm not making a sweeping generalization, and I have to make mm. that crystal yes, we clear. We do because we all have our own experiences. But there's so many trans men that even I knew of, like in high school, mm-hmm. um, that had an easier time in my view and you yeah mm-hmm. an easier time with romantic love mm-hmm. with you know and I think it might even be a side effect and I don't want to get too uh medicalist talk on here mm-hmm. but I think it might also be a side effect of testosterone versus estrogen like mm-hmm. testosterone you get the facial hair it thickens your vocal cords you develop the Adam's apple Estrogen is not reversing any of the effects that testosterone mm-hmm. might mm-hmm. have already had on someone who's AMAB, mm-hmm. a.k.a. assigned male at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, estrogen will, you know, it'll reposition some things, some fat, <laughs> you know, it'll smooth, you know, make your skin a little bit softer. Mm-hmm. But testosterone, by far, from what I've seen in conversations that I've had with trans men, it just appears to be the stronger moan, okay? (laughs) So then you're going to get the stronger results. And Mm -hmm. so like you said, whatever that motivation, whether it's a motivation or not, it could just be a symptom of a trans man transitioning medically and socially that now he's just disassumed, whether he wants that or not. Right, right. exactly. And that's it, whether he wants it or not. And then how do we take that reality, mm-hmm. right, and tr- I don't want to say transpose, I don't think that's the right word, but, like, put that into a conversation about why why very few of us can name a handful of, in particular, black trans men, mm-hmm. right, um, invisibility in, in culture, on TV, in movies, right, um, as compared to the black trans women that we can name, women and people that we can name, um, due in large part, if we're being real, to Pose. Yes. You know, Pose gave us five, six, seven of them, you know, right right there. Right all at the same time. <laughs> you know? Um, but the question becomes, who can you name that ain't been on Pose? Now, that's the gag. Uh-huh. That's the gag. Um, but I say all this to say, you know, I want to know for you before we go... Before we throw to our interview, who was the first like trans man, trans masculine person that you remember seeing in in culture, whether in like your your everyday life or on screen that like that you just remember whether or not it had like a, a deep impact on you or not? So for me, I honestly and embarrassingly can't recall mm-hmm. the first on screen. Mm hmm. I'm sure I can think to it. But see, on screen, like, it's always looped into some some otherness yeah. that is not explicitly being a trans man. It's mm-hmm. somebody temporarily playing dress up who, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, still identifies and is a cis woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can't really say. I guess, you know, the uh, Boys Don't Cry, mm-hmm. starring mm-hmm. Hilary Swank. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a film that I saw like when it was fresh at the Blockbuster. That's not a film that I was exposed to in my adult life. Mm-hmm. I saw that as a teen. Oh, wow. 
And so that shook me. I know that, you know, we talked about the Calpurnia Adams story. So having Soldier's Girl mm -hmm. and Boys Don't Cry oh coexist oh my on top of Jerry Springer and Mari and all of that. Oh, my like, God. Like, it's, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. You all know what I'm saying without me having to Absolutely. say it. Like, I'm getting a chill thinking about it. So that's probably the first time um, on screen. And in person, I remember when I was in high school, there was this group of, we called them studs, mm -hmm. that rolled together. And they were attractive. Mm -hmm. And they were they were roping them in. They had very active mm -hmm. dating lives. And, mm -hmm. and one of them transitioned. And it was no big deal. Because he was already on the edge. Like, no one... <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I'm just... I'm just saying, like, no one yes. thought anything yes. different Absolutely. of Absolutely. it. And so that was in my personal life. And, and I don't remember people wrestling with his pronouns either, now that I think about we'll it. see. And so, um, yeah, that's for me in my personal life mm -hmm. and on screen. Mm -hmm. What about you? It gets me thinking, you, you speaking. <laughs> I'm just saying. Gets me thinking about, well, let me answer the question first, which is, I think for me, the one that comes to mind that, like, had, like, perhaps, like, a, a longer-term impact um, would be... I think for a lot of people, that's typically, like, a Chaz Bono-type um, situation. Yes. Chaz Bono-type situation. I Bono? 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 I, Bono. I always... It's okay. Backstory. So, y'all, I did the audiobook for uh, We See Each <laughs> Other, and I talk in the book about Chaz Bono. Um, but I kept saying the other one. Bono. Bono. Bono is from U2, the lead singer from U2. Yeah, but they spell it the exact same way. They do. Right? And so I kept saying it wrong, and the, the little director that was in my ear was like, uh, you got to redo that again. And I, I just kept mixing it up. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, like, Chaz, I think, is that person for a lot of people. But for me, I think the first, I think I say in the book, that the, I think the first trans man that I remember seeing in culture that, like, connected with me in some sort of way was Laith Ashley on mm. um, there was a reality show called Strut. I remember executively produced by Whoopi Goldberg. Period. Yes, yes. it was. And Isis and Arise. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. All of the, all of them. Dominique. And Dominique Jackson before Pose Electra. was on it. Mm -hmm. It was a show about um, trans models yes. trying to, you know, work, break into the industry, sustain themselves. Um, this was post um, Isis on America's Next Top Model. Mm -hmm. And Laith was the only guy a part of that cast. And that was my first time just being like, oh, well, like, yeah. And I had seen, we had seen Laith being fine all yes. over the place, you know, modeling on, on the magazine covers and whatnot. So that jumps out. And then, ironically, Brian Michael Smith. Yes. Like, in, in a meaningful way, in a long-term way, in a, in a way in which it was like, oh, he black, I'm black. He's talking about his trans experience yes. in this particular way. Oh, and Teek Milan. But Teek, oh, Teek wasn't Teak. an actor or anything like no. that. He was just like in culture talking. A talking head. Yes. He was on the on the grapevine TV. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. weighing in. Yeah, Teek is great. I met him at the same event that I met Laverne. I love that. And so like that that is those are the folks who come to mind for for me. Um, but even both of those are still very recent. Um, but you speaking had about the studs. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to just throw out this film. If you all have never seen it, it's called The Aggressives. Um, it is now a, that sounds coded. It is a documentary uh, <laughs> from back in the day that follows um, studs, uh -huh. uh, as we call them in our community. Um, and some of those studs at the time have since transitioned, one of them being Marquise Vilson. 
Okay. Was in this documentary, um, and they're doing they're doing a sequel, as I understand it. You know, a decade plus or whatever later, mm-hmm. um, right now, um, catching up with some of those folks that were in in the witch call it. But this the the <laughs> the stud to trans man pipeline mm-hmm. um, is very present. I'll 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 say it that way. It makes me think of the Kendrick Lamar song, "My Auntie." Yeah, my is auntie a, is a is a man. Mm-hmm. I believe he says which something is something like that. Mm-hmm. And then we don't know Monique's Uncle Tina or what have yes. you. Yes. And also, as you were speaking about Laith, I remember Laith kind of held the space socially on social media the same space that Amaya Scott had in which people would take their pictures Uh and then say would you sleep with him? Mm -hmm. Would you date her? Mm -hmm. And the gag that people would try Mm -hmm. to then you know the other shoe dropping is this Mm -hmm. is a trans person Mm -hmm. because they did that with Amaya's pictures all Mm -hmm. up and down to MySpace Mm -hmm. and when Lath started modeling I remember seeing it so you know seeing it on Twitter it's and then you know it becomes a a whole spectacle and so yeah yeah, it's it's definitely been an interesting journey watching, you know, uh, trans masculine mm-hmm. visibility, mm-hmm. you know, unfold. With that, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we have a fabulous interview with the one, the only, Brian Michael Smith. Oh, yes. We see each other. Co-Optober continues in celebration of National Co-Op Month. I'm Palmer Muniz, producer and a worker owner at MaxFun. I'm Jesus Ambrosio, producer, and I'm also a worker owner at Max Fun. This week is all about community. Of course, we couldn't be a co-op without the Max Fun community, and we love it whenever members of our audience get together. So we're having another Max Fun meetup this Thursday, October 12th. And next week, we'll be hosting a panel discussion with other worker owners across the co-op community. And we are still selling our limited edition Launch Crew merch available to all Max Fun members. But only through the end of the month. For more info on Meetup Day and everything Co-Optober, head to MaximumFun.org slash Co-Optober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. Have a great week. We see each other. Welcome back, beautiful people, to We See Each Other, the podcast. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And I'm Shar Jassel. Our guest this week is Brian Michael Smith pioneer for trans visibility in media to say the least. He's done shows like Queen Sugar and actually came out as trans on the show during season two Mm -hmm. after going years without sharing his trans identity to the public. Now listen, today with his role as Paul Strickland on 911 Lone Star, which Mm -hmm. I happen to watch and be a fan Mm -hmm. of. Okay, I'm a 911 girl. (laughs) I like the original with Angela Bassett Mm -hmm. and the the Lone Star with, uh, what's her name? Gina Torres. Yes, the firefighters. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, they're, they're, they do they firefighters and police people? Oh, okay, I just I've literally only watched one episode. Oh, it's a procedural. I, yeah, and you know, but you save lives. There's earthquakes and like okay, but let me get back. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, listen. Brian is the first black man who is trans cast as a series regular on television. Groundbreaking. Absolutely groundbreaking. Check out our conversation. So, Brian, you and I have had a a number of conversations about representation over the years as you have been kicking down doors um, in this industry. But to get us started, I would love to hear you talk about, like, the first trans man or trans masculine person that you remember seeing on screen that had, like, a a real, you know, impact on you. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'm trying to think, like, the first real 
trans man that I've seen because, you know, coming up in the 80s and the 90s, they were like trans adjacent characters, you know what I mean? Because we didn't even have the lingo. And mm-hmm. a lot of the storylines that I saw that had anybody that was remotely trans masculine growing up was usually a girl pretending to be a boy to prove that, you know, women can do anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as she fell in love with somebody or, you know, you know, proved that she could write as well as anybody else, you know, it was like, actually, I'm just a girl, take her stuff off and this fems it up as much as she possibly could and just throws her male identity like to the side. So those were the first real encounters that I had. I mean, like uh, that, that's, um, I think, uh, with the Willie Millie story was like one. And then uh, Boys Don't Cry, not Boys Don't Cry, uh, just one of the guys. So that was the first mm-hmm. kind of thing that was like close to what I was about, but it wasn't quite what I thought. And I think the even the, the Brandon Tina story uh, in Boys Don't Cry, I think we really started to understand that Brandon was trans after the fact. But when it came out in 1999, it was the story of this person who may have been a lesbian and, you know, faced these really horrible consequences for trying to pretend to be uh, a, a guy. And it wasn't until like after the fact that we realized like, hey, no, this was a trans person. And, you know, they just didn't understand that. So I would have to say the first actual real trans man that I saw on screen was in 2015. Uh, like in, 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 um, no, it was, you know, I think it was, it, was, it might have been in 20, 2013, 2014. But it was uh, Black is Blue and it was a film by Cheryl Dunye. And it was uh, starring like Kingston Faraday. And it was like, that was the first time I was like, oh my God, I see myself. Because, you know, it's mm-hmm. a story about a real black trans man just trying to live his life. And it was, you know, a slice of life character story. And I could identify with so much of what I was seeing that, you know, it really had this earth shaking um, resonance for me. Because I felt really um, visible when I saw uh, Lauren, um, Laverne Cox's, I'm like, well, I'm about to call her Lauren, like Laverne Cox's portrayal. <laughs> Of, of, of Sophia Bursette on Orange is the New Black. And when they did her backstory, there was something about the authenticity of how they did it. Mm. And how I didn't have to worry about seeing her, you know, undo herself to play a younger version of herself. She had her twin play. So I, I didn't have the dissonance that I probably would have had if that was the case. So I really got to just watch it play out as it was. And it was so authentic. It was so real that it's like, it let me know that, hey, this is possible for me. I can I can tell a trans story, you know, in the medium of my choosing and, and have it be real. But then to see Kingston, that is what really, like, grounded mm-hmm. me and helped me integrate myself as a Black trans man professional actor. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. all these things now feel possible and it's exactly what I want to put out into the world. You know, listening to you speak, it's bringing up a lot for me because I don't think I ever really sat with, like, trans masculine representation in and around the media. I got to thinking about like She's the Man with Amanda Bynes and mm-hmm. um what's the 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 white guy from One Tree Hill? <laughs> I can't remember his name. Chad <laughs> Michael Murray. Yes. Heart. Chad Michael Murray I think is mm-hmm. also in that film. And then even when you think about Mulan, mm-hmm. how it's about butching it up to prove that you can do whatever or and then you become hyper femme in, in an effort to get the guy versus when yeah. you think about like Tootsie and Miss Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. two totally different dichotomies mm-hmm. with that. It's, it's a so interesting. empowerment story wrapped up in a yes. package and it completely invalidates the trans masculine experience. You know what I yes. mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Speak more to that because that's, I was bringing up that comparison and what that means for someone like you who is a visible black man who's trans and an actor. 
Well, I mean, I think it's the same dangerous thing you have when you have cis men playing trans women characters is that you see them take it off. And so you see, mm -hmm. aha, it's just a man playing dress up. You know what I mean? Or with the trans masculine representation. See, it's just a woman pretending to be a guy. And they also go throughout the movie to show you all the ways in which the, the, the woman character is not really doing so great at being a guy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they never really fully like hit it you know what i mean it's always very clear like this is a this is a girl the only place where you it was kind of the line was blurring was in boys don't cry and you saw the price that was paid for that because people yeah. were fooled and and then you see when the when they literally i mean they violated brandon in so many ways but when they look like stripped them down you know what i mean yes mm -hmm. my god to show you like how you know what i mean and it makes brandon look like uh they're delusional and and yeah, and so I feel like the impact of that is, I think, plays out in the negative stereotypes and just a misunderstanding of who trans people are like today. People still walk around with this belief is like, that's just a man pretending to be a woman. That's mm -hmm. just a woman pretending to be a man or dressing up or putting something on and they need to take it off and participate in society the way we want them to. And it's like, no. <laughs> We don't take this off. This is who this is who we are. Like we're not putting mm -hmm. anything on. We're taking off what you put on us. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that was good. That was good. Mm -hmm. Tweetable. Um, I want to note for the people who are out there listening: if you've never heard the name Cheryl Dunier, that is a legendary, iconic name in uh, film history, especially black film history and queer film history. The writer, director, editor, cinematographer of The Watermelon Woman. Yes. Um, so shout out to her, still working and producing work today. Listen, she directed um, one of my episodes of Queen Sugar. It was like a full circle come to like Jesus moment for me where I'm like, you don't understand the impact that you had on, on me. But she did, <laughs> you know, and like, it was gracious, but it was, it was a very, very, very beautiful experience to actually get a chance to work with her. I love that. You actually just you just brought up Queen Sugar and I talk in the book um about, you know, a number of the interviews that you and I have had uh around Queen Sugar specifically. Um and I love to remind people that it was Queen Sugar, this black ass show that, you know, was a vehicle for you, mm -hmm. the first black trans man to be a series regular on TV. Like, if it wasn't for Queen Sugar, right, this mm -hmm. black-ass show, shout-out to Ava, um, mm -hmm. perhaps, you know, we would not have gotten to this, like, historical moment. Could you talk a little bit about just, like, that moment in your life, in your career, doing that show over, I think, Three seasons, your character pops up, if I'm not mistaken, three or four. Yeah, four. Um, mm -hmm. um, throughout that time. Could you talk a little bit about just that moment and, and being there? Especially because I feel like you were probably, you know, for a lot of people, Laverne was, you know, is the first black trans woman that they saw in a, in a major role. And mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, you would be the first black trans man, right, mm -hmm. that they've seen with, like, a particular level of celebrity. You was on People's Sexiest Man Alive list. Oh, yes. You know? Um, so could you just talk <laughs> about that moment for us? Yeah, I mean, again, that moment for me was a peak integration, where, again, like, everything that I'm about as a man, as an artist, I was able to do all at the same time, which was something that felt denied to me for a really long time. It was like, I always had to leave some part of myself out of the equation as I was like advancing and moving, you know what I mean? 
and mm-hmm. I and I didn't like that, you know. But I was like, I guess this is part of the process. As I'm developing myself as an actor, and I want to focus on literally just the craft. I don't want to spend too much time trying to explain my identity or um, have the work that I'm doing not be seen because someone's trying to get past their own lens of misunderstanding about like who I am. It's like, don't worry about that, you know. So as I was doing my acting training, I was really just focused on the acting, and I was. I, you know, I was like, if it comes up, it comes up. But if it doesn't, I'm not about to introduce this part of myself. I don't necessarily need to. But as I started to do more work and start to hone my voice as an artist, I'm like, well, there's so much of my experience that I feel like colors how I exp- you know, express and how the world comes through me that is beautiful and that I think I would bring to the project, that I would bring to the script, that I would bring to how I'm analyzing something, that now I really want to, to work with that. And I think this is going to help me establish my voice but I don't feel like I'm going to be able to establish my voice if I if the material doesn't meet what I'm trying to do and Mm -hmm. so a lot of the roles and the characters that even thought about trans men you know if it wasn't written by a trans person it was it was bleak Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so hey it was few and far between to see any trans masculine representation on any things that I was auditioning for and then a lot of the trans um, masculine things that were coming my way um, were parts of the story that I'd already moved beyond. Like, you know, I'm not transitioning. I'm not coming out in, in the way right. when I'm not, there's no discovery happening. I know who I am. And then like, I had already had like, you know, 15 to 18 years of like just living in my experience. And I'm like, that's the kind of story that I want to talk about after the fact. There's all this life that happens after transition that is just mm-hmm. unexplored. And that there's, I learned so much about being a better human through, through that time that I want to share with the world through my art. And so, when I saw um, Selma, the way in which Ava DuVernay like shaped that story. I mean, we've heard, I've been encounter in touch with Martin Luther King and his story for a long time, but something about the way in which every human in there was like a real nuanced, fully fleshed out human. That, that was the, the curiosity I had. It's like, how did they do this? How did, mm-hmm. you know, and you get to see the struggle that everybody, you saw the struggle that Martin was having, the struggle that people in his party were having. There was something that was grandly realistic to it and I was like I really want to work with her and I don't I don't care what it's going to be but I, I just I'm, I'm really drawn to it like that's the kind of work I want to do that's the kind of thing that I want to do so it just felt like everything was kind of moving in the in the right direction so like I felt like I had developed my skills enough as an artist to be able to meet the work I felt like I knew what kind of work I wanted to do I felt like I saw who was doing that kind of thing and then when Queen Sugar was announced uh, for the first season, I was hitting my team, I gotta get on this show, I'm gonna do this. And they're like, we'll see, we'll see. And I'm like, even if I was just, I didn't even wanna, I didn't even think about playing a trans character on the show. I just like wanted to be on this black ass mm-hmm. show that was showing these real like, <laughs> black ass like characters. Um, and so when I got the audition, it was, and it, like, I got the breakdown for it. It was like, you know, black trans cop. I'm like, yo, I'm black, I'm trans, I've played nothing but cops. Like, this is my jam. And it was like, no, no, it was Queen Sugar. I'm like, this is Queen Sugar. This is great. And then I actually got the sides. And I'm like, oh, because the scene was something I hadn't seen before as mm-hmm. a trans person, especially as a trans man, especially as a black trans man, where it was a scene in which the black cis man, man was seeking reassurance and support from the trans character. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And my character got a chance to express gratitude for him being the ally that he was in a way that's like, you know, when I think about it, there were people who didn't necessarily understand what I was going through, what I was about, but they saw me and they protected what they saw from anybody else who tried it. 
And even we, even though none of us had the language, they just wouldn't mm-hmm. let anybody, they wouldn't, you know what I mean? And like, there was a lot of people, I like, this is a real feeling that I'm carrying around that like, I actually get to express in, in like a space that's really going to allow for it to happen. Like Queen Sugar is this show that really lives in the humanity of everything, lets it really breathe out like a, like a play. And it's like, people are going to really like step into this. And I haven't had opportunity to really do this even in my own life. So this is it's a great experience for me as a person. This is a great experience for me as an artist and for what I want to do in the world. And like to have this like heart to heart, black man to black man, and we knowing full well that within the black community, there's a lot of ignorance around what trans, what gender mm-hmm. nonconformity is and, 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 and religiosity that's, that's tied up into that and this traditionalism that we have in our culture for us to say like, look, you don't even have to know all of that. You don't even have to agree with all that, but you just have to recognize that you love me, I love you, I'm a person and there's ways in which people get treated that's right and there's ways in which people get treated that's wrong and I'm not going to let somebody be treated wrong, you know? So mm-hmm. I thought that was like, that was really, really, really beautiful to, to see just even in the sides and then to be able to actually live it out um, was incredible. And then it was like, again, like just the environment that being in a female led production like creates is so different from everything I had experienced working in New York on these sort of like white dominated, male dominated uh, shows. But there's this spirit of trust like anybody playing no games, but it's like it's all family, you know what I mean? <laughs> the work is going to get done, but there's a the collaborative element was was really genuine and very rich and very entrenched in a way I hadn't experienced before that I thought was so beautiful. And you can see it, it permeates every scene of every episode Absolutely. of Sugar. Because there's this deep, deep trust of every artist that's there, whether they're the actor, the makeup head, mm-hmm. the director, whatever. So you just get the richness. I think everybody's performing at their best on that on that show and it, and it really comes through. Earlier, you mentioned how, you know, you would go into these spaces and you wouldn't necessarily lead with transness. And correct me if I'm wrong, um, unless it was pertinent to the job. And that's something that I somewhat relate to because I oftentimes feel like I'm on an island with that due to mm-hmm. some of the social, quote unquote, requirements of being a trans person. And yeah. I acknowledge that it's a privilege. But yes. I love what you said about how your transness also then does color every experience that you do have mm-hmm. i'm interested in knowing with that with that response i'm interested in knowing you like we mentioned you were on this black ass show running around with ralph angel and <laughs> charlie and nova like you're running around i'm interested in knowing what are some of the hurdles that you had to overcome with being black and a man and trans and one of the first and one of the only on primetime TV, even still to this day. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest hurdle is not knowing for sure if some of the things that I want to do haven't manifested yet because I'm visibly mm-hmm. black and trans. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, and just not really, not really knowing. You know, so I'm going to keep doing the work that I do. I'm going to, you know, tr- you know, try to to take on um, stories that I feel like are important to to tell. But then there's just always, you know, that that thought of like, if I wanted to be the romantic lead in some upcoming film, um, am I out of contention? Because if mm. me being cast is going to make it a trans film, is me being cast and is going to make it a black film? You know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's part of the the industry in general for anybody who's um, 
who's marginalized is, you know, who, who am I working with and are they going to allow me to make the things that I want to make or are they going to limit me based on what they think an audience might want to see or what they think me being in a specific role is going to say. Like sometimes I think there's a politis politicization of my of me that exists because I'm, I'm black and trans that does not exist for other people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where like, oh, you know, absolutely. Like, this is what we're saying. <laughs> And it's like, well, no, you're not. <laughs> and if you and are, it might there, be, you know, like deal with that on the outside. But I'm, a, you know, I, I would like to just be the, the the person telling the story. And it might be also a function of how other people choose to navigate their personal politic. Like I always have to remind people the trans community is not monolithic mm -hmm. and everybody has their own personal politic and their own personal journey through a, a, in and around their transness. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that people love themselves anymore, hate themselves anymore. Cause you know, people then love to project. Mm -hmm. project yeah. And so I think that's a very fascinating point that, that you bring up and how that would color certain films and how people approach because if someone comes before you and navigates their personal politic in a certain way it is inherently going to affect you when you show up in the room whether you have anything to do with that or not mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know people like to make this seem like it's this i mean it is it's different but we all are allowed to have our own relationships with the parts of who make us who we are mm -hmm. you know so you know, we're talking about my trans, but it's like, what about you as a man? Like, there's people who are like, how, what's yeah. your own sense of being a man? Um, mm -hmm. And how does that color how you take on your work? Like, any any actor, you know, what's your, you know, somebody who's physically imposing? Like, what's your relationship to who you are and to these elements of yourself? And then how do you want to work with them? What do you want to explore? Like, for me, it's like, I'm I'm trying to explore stuff that's interesting to me. And this part of my life is interesting to me, but it's not everything. I want to, you know, mm -hmm. like, I'm ready to explore, like, what it means to be a, a, a father. I'm not a, I'm not a father. Right, yet, but, like, right. I have a relationship to fatherhood that's based on my experience with my father or, or lack thereof. And now as an artist, I want to explore. But it shouldn't color whether or not I can get a role as a father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Our last question for you. As I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, you and I, at minimum, have been engaged in, in this conversation on representation and opportunity for trans folks for a little minute. Um, I'd love to know what you feel like is missing from the quote-unquote discourse as it relates to trans visibility and representation that we should be talking a little bit more about at this stage of a conversation that we've been having for a little minute now. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I feel like we have said everything that needs to be said. It's like the conversation needs to be amongst the others. Everybody else. Come on. Right. Come on. <laughs> at this juncture, I don't know what else. We preach to the choir and sing at the same time. Look, y'all need to take notes. We have made it plain. We have, I mean, take action. Like, you know? Mm -hmm. that, that's kind of mm -hmm. where I'm at with it. I. 10 out of 10, no notes. Agree. <laughs> and no, we need to take, people need to take action. They've taken all the notes. Mm. Right. But are you, you what are you it. then doing? What you doing That's with your the notes? subject. What's the predicate? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> are you then going to act on the notes that you've taken? <laughs> Come on with it. I know that's I right. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I want right. to say. You know? like, show us. Yeah. Show us and stop talking and show us. And it's true well, because we, that... listen, we, we've said it in conversation and then you've seen it in, in the dividends. 
people are paying to see our stories. People are investing yeah. in our stories. People are like, I mean, you put it out there, they, the people are coming. So then the conversation is amongst amongst y'all, you know? Like, I think mm-hmm. one thing, if I could put a pin on anything, it's just like, look, trans people have trans friends, so it shouldn't just be one of us in these projects and shows. Now, them. come on now. So <laughs> don't just think come you on now. Friends, you don't check the box. It's like and we stories. all have, you know, the black people, we, we got a black friend, a, a black relative, you know, so <laughs> yep. don't think that just because you got the one person in there, you you you, you got it. Like, let's, let's explore. Yeah. And our stories are so much more mm-hmm. than our transitions. Yes. Amen. Yes. Give me a story about someone 20 years deep into their transition. Where I am. <laughs> Where I am. Period. Right here. Period. That's enough, I have to say, like, not even trash talking. Like, that's what something I do like about um, working on 911 is that they allow me to like explore like you know we ain't doing the Paul coming out story you're not doing the Paul it's like love it you know it's like what's Paul's having struggles at work like the job is causing issues Paul had heart trouble I love that mm-hmm. yes you know, that's, we in the hospital and I have heart trouble and I don't think it came up one time that the heart issue you know, yeah like they, didn't, they didn't put the two together you have this heart issue because which they love to do. Which, which they oh love God. to do. You know, they didn't give me breast cancer, which I'm like, thank you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We don't need that. We don't need that. I mean, that's a real thing, but that can't be the sensation. The only like, thing. The yeah. Yes. Approach, you know, like I would love they be to having... see, if we're going to do cancer, somebody get breast cancer. You want to show like men struggling with that too. Let that be somebody else, you know? And, yeah. And let Paul be supportive because, hey, I know what it's like when your body betrays you. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause they Absolutely. definitely be having the girls laid up in hospital beds talking about prostate cancer. <laughs> it's very pointed. It's very Let intentional. It Let it go. They do. They do. Let and then they color it with like coming to be confused. <laughs> you have prostate? To- like You are hilarious, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> with that, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for the work that y'all are doing. I'm so, so excited. I cannot wait for, to get the copy of your book and the conversation that y'all have. I mean, it, it makes such a difference. So I appreciate y'all the light you bring to each other. Yes, we see each other, baby. Keep up with Brian Michael on Twitter at the Brian Michael and on Instagram at the underscore Brian Michael. And that's Brian with an I, not a Y. Yes, that is an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Love, Brian, like I mentioned. Now we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back. We see each other. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen. And together we are The Flophouse, a long-running podcast on the Maximum Fun Network, where we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. And because we're so long-running, maybe you haven't given us a chance. I get it. But you don't actually have to know anything about previous episodes to enjoy us. And I promise you that if you find our voices irritating, we grow endearing over time. Perhaps you listened to one of our old episodes and decided that we were dumb and immature. Well, we've been doing this a while now. We have become smarter and more mature and generally nicer to Dan. But we are only human, so no promises. Find the Flophouse on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. We see each other. All right, welcome back. Now it's time we get into what everyday trans folks have to say about trans visibility in media. Again, shout out to the Unique Women's Coalition for giving us some of their studio space so that we could conduct some of these interviews. Take a listen. I do feel like our uh, our trans masculine community feels that because trans women are in the forefront, they're kind of forced to fall in the back. 
um, which kind of forces them to live a stealth life or not feel so accepted in community spaces. And I just kind of want to point that out that we as trans women, we we honor um, our trans masculine siblings and we hope one day that we're able to bridge the gap and just create more un- more unity uh, within the trans community and not allow everyone to feel so separated because trans women are in the forefront today. The trans mass community needs um, a lot more representation. To be honest with you, I've never seen a trans mass person in film and television that I know of, unless, like, no, honestly, I've never seen any of them. It just saddens me because, like, it's like for those of us who didn't have our transition aligned with our adolescence, like if you experience the world being read as a girl, and in my case, like a black girl, we go through so much shit. And then you go to transition and then our community turns on us because we have decided that masculinity, not toxic masculinity, but masculinity in general is bad. So then you're silenced as a girl and then you transition and then you're silenced again, not only by your own community, um, but then also by society as a whole because they love to just erase you. Again, trans only exists if you're a trans woman and you're already, you know, not seen, you know, and I, I just like constantly am like, okay, at what point will our community finally wake up? At what point will... You know, and it's like, I'm I'm not going to wait. You know, obviously it's why I do the work that I do. It's why I make the work that I do. It's why I dare to center myself or center other trans masculine people because um, we need it. And it's just, I find it really just incredibly frustrating. <laughs> like, honestly, like I, feel, I believe to the core of me that we are Adam before the rib came out. Right. And um, I doubt that Adam was having a, a, a dull experience. Right. It just he was lonely. If the story went down, how they said it went down. But I don't really think it went down like how they said it went down. Um, but, you know, for context. Right. Um, yeah, we have to. That's really my, my my message is really for 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 trans folks. Right. In general, at large, is that it's time for us not to get at the table with the other people, but to get at the table with ourselves. Right. And particularly the and really the way I, I feel like it has to happen is it got to start with the black people. It's got to start with the black girls and the black boys and the non-binds. Right. And then out and out and out and out. I did recently learn about somebody. I don't know if you guys have heard about Pauli Murray. Their contributions to American culture and in the way in which we are living today. You're talking about the person who organized <laughs> and demonstrated in the very first sit-ins that this country had seen before it became the thing in the late 50s and 60s. You're talking about basically 30s and 40s. It was like, nah. When we talk about how we've gotten to where we are today, they were, I hate to say it like erased, but footnoted. When they weren't the footnote, they were the foundation. There's a difference. The part of their story that I connect with the most is their gender journey. Like, I legit felt the way that Paulie felt and that they were a man. It was that struggle that Paulie had to basically deal with, and Paulie used the instruments they knew the best, their pen. Like, 
what person you know just befriends the first lady of the United States because they just so irritated. They started, they was like, look, your husband not responding to me, so I'm going to send you letters. Like, and that's not even really getting into the work that Paulie did um, while at law school and whatnot in order to create the foundation for the arguments that led to the overturning of Plessy versus Ferguson, that led to Brown versus the Board of Education, that led to Reed v. Reed, and which also led to the uh, essentially equal rights for LGBT, LGBT people um, in the eyes of the Supreme Court as of 2017. So good. I've been loving these interviews because it's just it's always good to get, you know, some regular, regular, schmegular mm-hmm. folks thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, the real people. Hash, if you know, you, you know. know. If you've been with us from day one. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Thanks again to all the folks who shared their stories with us. And remember, you can share your thoughts with us if you're trans, okay? At speakpipe.com slash we see each other, which you can find that link in the show notes. And if you want to keep up with the show, which we hope you will, on Instagram, you can follow us at slayjohn, S-L-A-Y-Z-H-O-N. You can buy We See Each Other, the book, wherever good reads are sold. Mm-hmm. And bad reads, too. Yeah. But this is a good read for the All reads. Hashtag. (laughs) All reads matter. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're an audiobook girl, Trayvell narrates it. Absolutely. Check it out. Our music is by the incomparable Never Ending Nina. Check her out wherever you get wonderful music. Our producer is Palmira Muniz, and Laura Swisher is our senior producer. This podcast is supported by Critical Minded, an initiative to invest in cultural critics of color, co founded by the Nathan Cummings Foundation and the the Ford Foundation. We it's a production of Slejean and Maximum Fun. We see each other. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.